How y'all doing? Everybody all right? Staying warm? I understand it's cool outside. I, I came summer, summer dress, you know. So if you see a, you know, a snowman out there after the service, that's, that's me. <laughs> all right. Well, I want to make this announcement. Many of you may know uh, Sue Webb, uh, been a member of our church for many, many years. Uh, her husband Tom is, had been uh, very ill for a, for a few years. Well, uh, Sue called me this morning to let me know that Tom had uh, gone home to be with the Lord yesterday. And uh, so if you'll keep uh, the Webb family in prayer, uh, there is, there is going to be a service uh, here at the church on April the 16th, which is a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, and uh, it's going to be open to the church, and I'll be announcing it this weekend as well uh, that's coming. But um, there'll be a private, uh, they're waiting for their children to come in uh, from out of town when they can all come together, and uh, there'll be a private interment at Fort Bliss on Friday, the day before. But Saturday, the 16th of April, will be the service here at 10 o'clock. Uh, so as you get an opportunity to uh, encourage Sue, I hope that, that you will. And please keep her in prayer. Also want to mention that uh, we're going to be doing a little bit more uh, Announcing about the uh, trip to, uh, to Israel in uh, March of 2017. So there's a year now, a uh, little less than a year before we, we, uh, we have that trip. So just want to keep planting the seed in your minds to pray and, and in your hearts to pray. And anybody interested, if you have any questions, please uh, see me and I'll let you know what things are. We, we don't have anything quite set yet. As a matter of fact, the only thing we do know is that we'll be going with... Uh, Pastor Cliff uh, Barnes from Horizon Christian Fellowship, and also Pastor Bob Ortega from Calvary Chapel Las Cruces. So it's uh, always fun to travel with Bob. He's, he's, a, he's a riot. He's a laugh. We always need that comic relief in Israel, so he's, he's our comic relief in Israel. But it's, it's, a, lot, it's a great, great, great trip. It's a lot of fun. Also, uh, people have been asking about baptisms, and so hopefully we will... Uh, focus on a date sometime in the near, near future and let you know the specifics about the baptism, when that's going to be. But we've had a number of people ask, so we're going to be putting that out on the uh, table. And, uh, and so, if you will, please uh, uh, pray about that if you haven't been baptized yet, and we will certainly uh, do that with, with you. Tonight our text is found in Ezekiel chapter 8. I'm only going to take the first 12 verses and then next week we're going to do the rest of chapter 8 and all of chapter 9. So, but uh, this, this particular passage here in, um, in Ezekiel 8 is, uh, well, it, it, it really weighs heavy because of the, uh, the nature of the of the. Uh, the word of judgment that is coming upon, upon uh, the nation of Judah as, as God is, is uh, using Ezekiel to um, 
let the exiles in, in Babylon know what is going to happen. Uh, eventually, the land is going to fall and the temple is going to be torn down. The city is going to be destroyed and the people will be scattered. And in chapter 8, another vision now is given to Ezekiel. And uh, in, this, in this particular vision, he, he, he shows Ezekiel what is happening in Judah, in Jerusalem, and in the temple. And, and it burdens the heart because it, it brings to mind the very fact that even today, in the church of Jesus Christ, there are things that are happening as if people think that God doesn't know. And, or they, they, they do things that really aren't according to the word of God, but they do them anyway. And so when we look at these things, keep, keep these issues, if you will, in mind. And so we're going to begin by reading verses 1 through 4 of Ezekiel chapter 8. And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house, and the elders of Judah sat before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell there upon me. Now we would always like to have the hand of the Lord fall upon us for good reasons. But remember now, Ezekiel is a watchman and a prophet to Israel and Judah. And then I beheld, and lo, a likeness is the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his loins even downward fire, and from his loins even upward as the appearance of brightness, as the color of amber. And he put forth the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where it was the seed of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, according to the vision that I saw in the plain. Again, I would say, it's nice to know that the glory of the Lord, God of Israel, was there. But as oftentimes the prophet would ask, but Lord, is it for good? Or is it for bad? It should go without saying that living a wicked life is a dangerous road to travel. Wickedness dooms people to walk through life without God's guidance or His help in times of desperate crises. Besides the road of wickedness and evil, it leads to eternal separation from God. That is very clear throughout all of Scripture. If people walk alienated from the one true God, they will continue to be alienated from Him 
when this life is over. This chapter, chapter 8, graphically pictures the reasons for God's coming judgment upon Judah. Time and again, the Lord had warned His people that His judgment was coming. But now He was going to show the exiles in Babylon specifically why He was going to completely destroy their nation. God was giving Ezekiel a vision that exposed the horrible sins of the people. And you know, it is, it is quite striking and, and shocking that, that their wickedness and idolatry had infiltrated the temple to such an extent that all the worship services had become idolatrous. All of the worship services. Let me give you a brief overview of chapters 8 through 11. <clears throat> Here in chapter 8, as we shall see this evening, is the vision that the Lord gave to Ezekiel of the defilement of the temple. Chapter 9 focuses on the destruction of the people. And chapters 10 and 11 uh, point to the departure of God's glory from His house. What we find here in chapter 8 is that God is saying, I'm going to be leaving pretty soon. My glory is going to depart. There's a word in the Hebrew, in the scriptures, for that departure. It's Ichabod. Ichabod. If you've ever heard of Ichabod Crane, that's what his name means. The glory has departed. Ichabod. Ichabod means that God's glory has departed. Going back to verse 1 for just a moment. And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, and in the fifth day of the month. That's, that's, that's pretty specific, isn't it? It's not just any time, but at a certain time. As I sat in my house, I said a couple of weeks ago that uh, God actually was putting Ezekiel in some kind of a self-imposed uh, house arrest. And of course, through that, he was also showing what was going to be happening to the people when he was bound and all of that. <clears throat> but here he sat in his house, and the elders of Judah sat before me, he says, which means that the elders had come either by invitation or they had come knowing that God had actually called Ezekiel as a prophet. And maybe they would listen to what he had to say. So there was indeed an audience. And the most, in people, and the most important people, of course, were the, the elders of Judah. And they sat before him. And when that happened, the hand of the Lord God fell there upon me. And so according to this verse, Ezekiel received the present vision 14 months after God called him to be a prophet. Now the exact year would be 592 B.C., which was the sixth year of Ezekiel and King Jehoiakim's captivity. And it, pinpointed by many, it was pinpointed by many to be, as a matter of fact, they, they figured this out, to be September 17 of that particular year. So it gives us an understanding of when this was taking place. Shortly before the new year of the children of Israel. It's quite interesting and quite significant that the Lord's prophecies are so exact but there's a reason for that. 
the Lord's prophecies are so exact to counter the claims of any false prophets. Because most of, the, most of the time, false prophets, even if they set dates, those prophecies will never come to pass. And in most cases, when false prophets speak, they always speak in generalities. And so God wants to say, but I'm specific. I'm specific about when I give the prophecy, and many times I'll be specific about when. Of course, as we're looking for the day of the coming of the Lord, and as we're looking for the end times now to move in toward that time we call the, the Great Tribulation period, even Jesus himself says, no one knows the day or the hour, so you need to be ready. If we all knew the day or the hour, things would kind of be a lot different. But here's the thing. God wants to know that we have hearts that honor him. So we need to be ready. And we get ready. But the Lord does this also to establish that his timelines, his timelines can be attested to. And then he goes on in verses 2 through 4 and he says again, Then I beheld and lo, a likeness is the appearance of fire. Now, now it, it, it would seem like as if he's just seeing fire, but more than that, he sees an appearance of a man. Because it says, lo, a likeness is the appearance of fire from the appearance of his loins even downward. So from the loins down, he saw fire. So now we're given this picture of a man. We're given a picture of the appearance of a man. From the appearance of his loins even downward, fire. And from his loins even upward, as the appearance of brightness as the color of amber. And he put forth the form of a hand. And so once again, this is a vision. Now you have to understand, he's seen a vision. But nonetheless, the hand is the the hand of God is the hand, the right hand of God, more than, more than likely the right hand of God. And he put forth the form of a hand and took me by a lock of mine head. So he grabs, now this, again, this is vision now, uh, because he's got the elders before him, so he's receiving this vision from God, and he sees himself being grabbed by the Lord by his hair and being pulled up. Ezekiel was not airborne, he was hairborne. I just had to throw that out. But he takes him in his vision. Notice, the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem. Wasn't it just transported there physically where he's still in his house? He made that clear where he was in receiving the vision. But he's taken to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where it was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. An image is there in the court, in the northern court of the temple grounds. And behold, he says, the glory of, of the God of Israel was there, according to the vision that I saw in the plain. So once again now, the glory of God is revealed. The glory of God is revealed. And we said at the onset of our study in the book of Ezekiel that the very theme of this book is the glory of God. 
And in chapter 1, Ezekiel has already been given a vision of the glory of God. So we better understand then. We better understand the present times and the apostasies that are taking place within the church in these last days by looking at the reality of the glory of God among his own people. See, we are going to better understand what's happening in our day and time by what we see God revealing to Ezekiel of himself in this particular vision. There's another thing that's really important here that we don't want to miss, and that is this, the seriousness and the solemnity that is shown about the glory of God. It is not to be taken lightly. The glory of God is not to be taken lightly. I, I know I've mentioned this in time past, and, and, and I'm, I'm burdened by these, these videos I see in, in, in churches today that are a part of something called the New Apostolic Reformation. If you don't know anything about it, we're going to talk more about it in days to come. Uh, but a couple of years ago, maybe, it's, I guess it's almost three years now that we had a, we had a, 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 a conference here called White is the Gate. And, and we began just really just scratching the surface of what was happening in the church today where people were turning away from the Word of God. They were turning away from the true power of the Spirit of God and the Word of God working together. And, 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 and people are beginning to embrace these, these uh, new apostolic reformation issues, you know, of... of uh, uh, contemplative prayer, emerging church kind of things that are going on. Uh, there's still connections made to, to certain movements that have taken place within the last 10 to 15, even 20 years in what was called the laughter movement and, and uh, uh, the, you know, this uh, being drunk in the spirit of God and, and people crawling on the ground, barking and laughing and, and, and all of that. And this, this is, is kind of, it's kind of begun up again. I mean, in, 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 a, in a more... Uh, uh, public way on, on, on video and on TV and uh, a certain uh, television, uh, Christian television stations. But just the very actions of some of these people are letting us know that there's, there's a lack of the seriousness of the solemnity of the presence of, of the glory of God. And it makes you wonder, is God even present? Is God even present? If his word is not honored and his word is not taught. I want to take you back to Ezekiel chapter, I'm sorry, to Exodus chapter 33 for just a moment. Because we need to understand, you see, the the foundation of, of, of the importance of the glory of God in the lives of the children of Israel. And let me ask you a question. If, if, if the glory of God was so important to the children of Israel, is it not as important then for us? I think it's equally important and not even more important. To have the full understanding of the covenant of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord. And we really need to then grasp this, this understanding of the importance of the, of the glory of God. In the church today. Exodus 33, verses 18 through 23. Moses is in the Mount of Sinai. He's on the Mount of Sinai, or the Mount Sinai, I should say, there in conversation with the Lord. 
the Lord with conversation to him. And Moses is just wondering, Lord, I, I need to show him something. You know, if I'm going to go back to Egypt and, and all, I've got I to show him something. You know, who's sending me? Can't you come with me? Show me your glory. He said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God says, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. You want to see my, my glory, you're going to die. In, in the state that you're in right now, in, in, in this physical human state you're in, you see my glory, you die. The Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass while my glory passes by that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand and thou shalt see my back parts. But my face shall not be seen. That's pretty serious business, isn't it? God says, okay, I'm going to let you see a little bit of my glory, but it's only going to be the backside of my glory because you see my face, you're dead. The point, the point is, even just to see the backside of God's glory was overwhelming to Moses. So much so that when Moses would come down to the people, he had to cover himself because the glory was shining from his face. You see, the glory of God among his people, whether to the individual as Moses or to the whole of the children of Israel, was indeed a powerful manifestation and appearance of God. So at the end of the book of Exodus, the children of Israel now had been given, given the plans as to what, what to build where, where, where God would meet with them. And, and he gave them the plans to build the tabernacle that they would be able to take with them. It was portable enough that they would carry it wherever they were to go and whatever they would camp, they would establish this, this tabernacle out, you know, so that they could, they could meet with God and God could meet with them. So at the end of, of uh, Exodus, Exodus chapter 40, as a matter of fact, just turn there now, but at the very end of this, this particular chapter, God has already given the command for them to erect this, this uh, uh, tabernacle so that God would meet with them. In verse 34 of chapter 40, it says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. A cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I don't know about you, but if, if God had spoken to, to the children of Israel, and, and Moses was there, and Joshua was there, and uh, we were there, 
uh, how, how lightly would you take that? I mean, would, would, we, would we do what, what a lot of people do, at, at, you know, coming to church? Like, oh, well, they're just singing. Oh, well, you know, it's okay. May, may I remind you that when we, get to, when we get together, that the glory of the Lord is here. We may not see the smoke. Now, in some churches, I've been to a church where they put smoke out for you. You know, the dry ice did. This is just show. But where two or more are gathered in his name, God said, I will be there. The glory of the Lord is in this place. Not because of who we are. Not because of the name of this church and not because of me or anybody else. But because we love God and we love his word. And we want him to fill us with his spirit and with his wisdom and his knowledge. So how would we be? I tell you what, I thought about this. I, I, would, I would almost feel that my heart would just bounce right out of my chest. God's going to meet with us. His glory is going to cover us. I don't, I don't ever want to be late to church again. Oh, by the way, I'm never late. <laughs> well, one time, almost, not too long ago, when I was coming from Arizona to teach on a Saturday night, got here on time. Verse 35, and Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation. <laughs> Listen to this. Moses was not able to enter into the congregation or the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. He couldn't go in. You know what the word glory means? I, I've already told you what it means, right? It means heavy, the heavy presence of God, the heavy sense of his glory, of his awesomeness was on the tabernacle. Moses couldn't even go in. When the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. God would meet with them. And then he said, okay, let's go. They packed up the tabernacle and they began to travel. But notice this, but if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day it was taken up. Why? Because God says, as long as we're here, I'm going to be with you. As long as we're right here, I'm going to be with you. And his presence was there. Notice how. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night. Fire. What did Ezekiel see of the, presence, of the glory of God? Fire. The fire of the Lord. Fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. In other words, no matter what part, you know, the, 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 the camp of Israel was, was designed to be where everybody was looking toward the tabernacle. Some have said that if you, if you took an, an overhead look of the camp, it would look like a cross. 
How many hints was God giving to them about Jesus? And you look at all of the things that the tabernacle was made of and, and, the, and the Ark of the Covenant and, 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 the, and everything else that was involved. Everything pointed to Jesus. Everything pointed to Yeshua. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. In Ezekiel's vision, he saw a spectacular being in the appearance of a, as a man. From, from the waist down, he was like flaming fire. From the waist up, he was as radiant as, as glowing amber metal. This was the same being that he had seen earlier in the throne of God. Back in chapter 1, let me remind you, in verses 26 to 28, what he saw in the first vision. And, and above the firmament, he said, which is heaven... That was over their heads was the likeness of a throne and the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. And notice, and I saw as the color of amber as the appearance of the fire round about within it from the appearance of his loins even upward and from the appearance of his loins even downward. I saw as it were the appearance of fire and it had brightness round about. So the, the vision is consistent, isn't it? It's a consistent vision of God. And in verse 28, it says, As the appearance of the bow that is, in the ra- that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. And this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. And again, it was so heavy that all he could do was fall upon his face. So now, getting back to our text, the, the Lord was giving his servant, Ezekiel, another glimpse of his glory. Ezekiel saw the Lord snatch him by the hair of his head and transport him in the vision to the north gate of the inner courtyard of the temple in Jerusalem, and he saw an idol standing there. He saw an idol standing there. The imagery of jealousy. But in stark contrast, God was seated upon his glorious throne. Remember he says, and God was there. He saw the image, but God was there. And here's a thought that we need to kind of try to wrap our heads around, if you will, or hopefully our hearts as well. But God's glorious presence is an absolute essential in the church. God's glorious presence is an absolute essential in the church. Without the Lord's presence, the church is nothing more than a building and the worship nothing more than man-made religion. Without God's presence, people are left completely to themselves, left to their perceptions, to their sensitivities, left to their shallow and carnal options. If the glory of God isn't present. Laser lights and dry ice generated smoke, hypnotic music with a constant beat causing people to bounce up and down or lyrics repeated countless times cannot substitute for the most powerful presence of Almighty God. Do you remember what Jesus told the woman at the well at Samaria in John chapter 4? I'll just read verses 23 and 24. You can read a lot of of that chapter later or 
review what we studied not long ago. I think I missed one verse here. Verse 23, Jesus said, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Stop and think about that statement. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers. Because he, had told, he said, look, you, you worship on that mountain over here. We, we worship in Jerusalem. So he's pointing out to the woman in Samaria about where they were worshiping really uh, in a false way. But true worshipers, even, even in Jerusalem, people could be worshiping there and not be a true worshiper. So when Jesus said of, of, of true worship here, consider this. He says, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father. Speaking of his Father, making it very clear who he was. True worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. The combination of the presence of the glory of God with the Word of God, which we can never separate in our worship, in our prayer, in our praise. We can never separate it in our fellowship. We can never separate it in the work and our service for the Lord God Almighty. We can never separate the Spirit from the Word of God. Then he says for his for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Those who understand the power and the weight of the glory of God in the church. And then he said in verse 24, God is a spirit. Why? Why does he say that? Because what were the first couple of commandments dealing with? We're going to worship the Lord our God with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. We're not going to make any carved idols or we're not going to make any carved images. No, no images. No, God's a spirit. You can't say, well, this is the God. We think this is what God looks like. No, God's a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. He's present here. We don't see him. Can anybody see him? We can't see him. But in some of these churches today, as I was mentioning earlier, they talk about physical manifestations. In one particular church in California, Bethel Church, in Redding, California, a big NAR church, which is a new apostolic reformation church, they talk about these, this, this, uh, this uh, physical manifestation of, of, of gold dust falling down on people. Or angel feathers. Where do we get angel feathers from? But the, these are the things that are being said. Anything dealing with the truth in that? Any of that can be manipulated? Any of those things? Does God need to do that to show who he is? All we've got to do is look at the cross. We know who he is. And we know what he's done. This is why we need to be discerners of the spirits. We need to be discerners of spirits. That's why we need to test the spirits to see that they're of God. These are things that we've talked about in the, in the, in the gifts of the spirit. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about discerning of spirits. That's a gift. 
And I believe it's a gift that every believer needs to have. And 1 John chapter 4, Paul, I'm sorry, John, of course, you know, 1 John chapter 4, John tells us that we need to test the spirits to see that they're of God. But Ezekiel saw the seed of the image of jealousy as he looked north. This image provoked God's jealousy. Why? Because God says there is no other God. There's only one God. And once again, the Lord had predicted this prophetically to the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. It was already given in the law that this was going to happen. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 21. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Who's that? That's the Babylonians. That's who it would be. They were already in captivity. And there was one more group of of captives going to come. Daniel was in the first uh, uh, group that came out of of, of Jerusalem and and, uh, Judah. Ezekiel was in the second group. There would be one more. This was already foretold. And verse 4 of our text tells us that the glory of God was there, but it would soon depart. He put forth the form of a hand and took, took me by the lock of my head, and the, and the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven. Oh, that's verse 3, sorry. Verse 4, and behold, the glory of God of Israel was there according to the vision that I saw in the plain. It was there. But as we read on, it, it, we're going to see that it's, it will soon depart. Verse 5, let's read on. Then said he unto me, Son of man. And by the way, Son of man is, is, should not be capitalized. I mean, Son of man here is, of course, dealing with Ezekiel. This is what he is called. Uh, Son of man in the book of Daniel is about Jesus. Uh, and, of course, we know that in, in the Gospels, and especially in Luke, he's called the Son of man. So, uh, but here, that's just a quick little... Um, no, it's usually capitalized here. Actually, you know why it's capitalized here? Actually, it's capitalized here grammatically because whenever you start a, a sentence by someone, it, it starts with a capital letter. So that's, that's the reason it's capitalized here. Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north, and behold, north, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry... He said furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what, thou what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary. But turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. You think you're seeing the worst? There's worse than what you see now. Worse than what you see now. You're only seeing what's there as an image, but there's something worse coming. So whereas we saw the glory of God revealed again to, uh, to Ezekiel, now we're going to see the glory of God retreating, withdrawing from his people. What would make God want to go away from his own temple? 
The vision is that of sin at the entrance. That's the first thing. That's the first reason. Sin at the entrance of the temple. The north entrance, by the way, to the temple was where the animals were brought in for sacrificial offering. But to whom or what were they now sacrificing? That, again, digs deeper into this reason why God will depart his temple. It is believed by some that the idol may have been the Asherah, which King Manasseh had placed in the temple earlier. You can read about that in 2 Kings 21 or 2 Chronicles 23. If you want to read about that, that's your homework. But it is also possible that the idol that was at the the gate of the north was the queen of heaven. It is very possible that that idol was the queen of heaven, which Jeremiah himself had renounced in his prophecy. Jeremiah 7 verse 18, it says, The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women's knead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto other gods that they may provoke me to anger. God is saying, listen, they're making cakes to the queen of heaven. They're going to have a kermes for the queen of heaven, which is a bazaar. You're not going to have a bazaar. Yeah. Everybody's going to be celebrating the queen of heaven. Interesting, huh? An interesting name, the queen of heaven. Because in one very prominent religion today, they continue to worship the queen of heaven. Jeremiah 44, verses 15 through 17. Then all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods, and all the women that stood by, a great multitude, even all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt in Pathros, answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word, as for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. In other words, you're over here telling us not to do this, or we're not going to listen. Notice the next verse, verse 17. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth. I mean, this, this, is, this, is, this is just tremendously arrogant. You know, gotten to this point of, of having this, this attitude where even the prophets of God, the true prophet of God, is telling them these things. And he says, they say to him, we will certainly do whatsoever things goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her as we have done, we and our fathers and our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then had we plenty of victuals and were well and saw no evil. In other words, when we did all of these things, we were blessed. Then all of a sudden we're trying to do what you're telling us to do and we're not so blessed anymore so we're going to go back and worship the queen of heaven. Because at least when we were doing that we were eating well. Remember that Ezekiel and Jeremiah were contemporaries. Jeremiah was still in Jerusalem preaching and ministering to the people and he was focused on denouncing the queen of heaven. And why was all of this so serious? Why was all of this so serious? Because they were driving God out of his own house. That attitude of saying, no, we're going to do what we want to do. Now, God can either turn them into a pile of ashes, or he can just step away. And God, in his infinite wisdom and and understanding, 
did what he did then to teach us. Remember what Paul said in, in, in his letter, the first letter to the Corinthians, that he, these things we see happen in the Old Testament because God is teaching us. They were driving God out of his own house. And of course, the Lord would leave. Why? Because you can't mix Israel's God with other gods. You cannot mix Israel's God with other gods. And I find it sad to say that sometimes that's happening even today. Wanting to mix the true God with other gods or mix other gods with the true God. A true temple has room for only one God. A true temple has only room for one God. Isn't it equally true of a person whose body is God's temple? Isn't it equally true? Better to have the false presence removed than to have the true presence depart. Is this not what we hear Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19? In 20, where Paul says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, the Holy Spirit, which you have of God, and you are not your own? This, this is the one verse of Scripture that burdens my heart more than, I think, any in the church today. Know you not? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God? God has given it to you. You're not your own. This isn't your body to mess with, to do what you want to do on it or in it. Now, some of us are getting old. We're trying to do, keep it going as best as we can. You know, we try to eat right. God, help me. Try to eat right. We try to do right things. But what we're doing to our body sometimes, who gave us the right? We don't belong to ourselves anymore. <laughs> Verse 20 really strengthens that. I mean, it says, for you are bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself because you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So hopefully what we do will always be done to the glory of God. And if we can say that and do that, then praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But the Lord is not going to stay where he's not welcome. Isn't that a painful thought? The Lord is not going to stay where he's not welcome. David, toward the end of his life, David gave these words to Solomon as he was now to be king of Israel. Listen to what he says. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. 1 Kings 2, 2 through 4. I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Boy, isn't that something men need to hear today? Show thyself a man, because that's what you are. I could go on, but I don't have time. 
and keep the charge of the Lord thy God. In other words, keep the charge that he has given to you, Solomon, as king of Israel. To walk in his ways. Here's the charge. To walk in his ways. To keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. Whichever way you go and you do these things, you will prosper. That the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, if thy children take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. What a powerful statement that is. But now, the nation had turned far from the Lord. And as bad as this image was, God says that there were even greater abominations that he would show Ezekiel. Things that his leaders and people were involved in. This is where it gets down to the nitty gritty. Because the church isn't a building. The children of Israel themselves are not a building. They, they are people, they're, they're a group that God has called in his name to be his people and to be his voice, declaring to all the nations that he and he alone is God. But what we find in verses 7 through 12, what has happened? That's the question we ask. And he brought me to the door of the court. And when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. And I would venture to say it was a hole that you could probably see through. Not very big. But notice in verse 8 it says, Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. There's a little peephole there, but make it bigger. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. When this was finally open, there was a door. And he said unto me, Go in. And behold the wicked abominations that they do here. Going now into secret chambers in the temple where God had taken, where God had taken Ezekiel in, vision, in the vision that God had given him. So I went in and I saw. And behold every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. Have you ever noticed in, in, in the world today how image-driven we are? How image-driven the world is? I don't say, we'll say we. We sometimes get there, but the world is image-driven. Painting more and more pictures to stay in your mind. Remember growing up, you know, you used to like say, oh, I like a scary movies, so let's go see a scary movie, you know. Then you get an image in your mind, and then you go home, and you, you, have, you slept with all the lights on, right? 
And I got to tell you, the world is demonic. The world is trying to put demonic pictures and demonic thoughts into so many people. These, these are the idols of today, folks. I, I don't even want to see those images. I don't even like it very much when sometimes good people on, on, on YouTube or whatever, they, they have something to say, you know, that, that deals with, with what's going on in the world today, but they got to put an image on, you know, that's kind of like, you know, some kind of gargoyle, you know, some ugly kind of thing, you know. Take that image off, man. I mean, just tell me what you, you're supposed to be telling me, but don't, don't put these stupid images before me. I don't want to see them. And somebody might say, well, are you scared? No, I'm not scared. I just don't want to see that. I'd rather see Jesus. I want the only image in my mind and my heart to be Jesus himself. So I went in and saw and behold all of these things, creeping things, abominable things. That's an interesting word, abominable, because you know certain acts that, that God has condemned in, in, in the law are abominable works, but now they're abominable beasts as well. And all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. So everything is, is there for them to see. And there stood before them 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood Yazaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand. And a thick cloud of incense went up. You notice this isn't the cloud of the glory of God, it's a cloud of incense because these people are praying to these gods and images. And then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark. Every man in the chambers of his imagery. Every man in the chambers of his imagery. For they say, the Lord seeth us not. The Lord has forsaken the earth. In other words, could there, could, is there really a God? Does he really see us? If he could see us. But he can't see us. Look at, here we are. Here we are, worshiping the way we want to worship. In the temple of God. Understand what's going on here. God has Ezekiel enter these secret chambers where, where he finds 70 elders of Israel gathered together and they're offering incense and worshiping these animals and creatures <clears throat> instead of the God who created them. I, I would venture, we just don't have time, but I, I would ask you to go home and read Romans chapter 1, especially verses, uh, verses 18 to the end. And much of the very same things that were going on then are what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 1. And what is happening in our day and time, even having become the law of the land. Abominations. Consider also that even a man of good family and good distinction, Yazaniah, whose father, Shaphan, had played a leading role in Josiah's great reforms, 2 Kings chapter 23. 
Shaphan is mentioned, very, very prominent role when Josiah began to make reforms in Judah. But even a man of good family and distinction fell to the depths that he did, speaking of Yahaniah, or Yazaniah, I should say. How sad Israel's faith had fallen. And these elders truly believed that no one knew what they were doing, not even God himself. He's forsaken. He's forsaken the earth. He's not here anymore. We can do what we want to do. But as Hebrews 4.13 says, and I'm going to get to 4.13, but I want to, I want to, I want to give you a bigger passage here. Because I want you to see the context of verse 13. So Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. I want you to listen to what, what Paul says. He says, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And we can say that this is to some extent connected to what we're reading in Ezekiel. The unbelief of the children of Israel lest we fall into a state of unbelief. So I share these things with you. I want you to labor to enter into that rest. Not work for your salvation, but labor in the things of God. Labor in the things of the Lord. Because you see, once you're in His rest, no matter what you do for the Lord, no matter what you may face, no matter what you may, uh, in the sense of what you may suffer for, you're still at rest with him. But every day we have to labor for that rest. So then he says in verse 12, for the word of God, and that's the key, staying in the word of God. For the word of God is quick, which means it's alive and is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So it is the Word of God. If we want to discern what's going on, we need to realize the importance of the Word of God in our life as we are laboring in the rest of God. And what is the work? that Jesus tells us in the, book of, in the Gospel of John. He says the work is that we would believe in God and trust in God and depend upon the Lord. He says it's the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, with that in mind, look at verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him whom, with whom we have to do. In other words, God sees God sees and He knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows where we be. He knows where we be. He knows where we've been. He knows where we're going. You understand? He knows us. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Verse 14 says, seeing then that we have a great high priest. 
What a contrast to the priests that are in this secret chamber. When the elders of Israel in the secret chamber, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Hold fast, hold tight, hold on strong to our profession of faith in Christ. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. He did everything that he did without sin on our behalf. Because he knew and knows even now that we are weak. But he's strong. Let us therefore come boldly, which means confidently. Because we're not, we're not dependent upon our strength. We're dependent upon His. So let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But you see, all of these people within that, within that secret chamber of the, of the temple, they were saying, man, God doesn't see. Besides, He's forsaken the earth. We'll do what we want to do. We'll change. And using the words of someone we all know, let's just fundamentally change the church. You cannot fundamentally change the church because once you do anything of that sort, you're no longer part of the church. You're no longer the part, part of the body of Christ that stands upon the one true God in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus of Nazareth, in the power of His Holy Spirit, in the Word of God. Now how in the world does all of this apply to us? Well, let me just ask you, do we, do we have secret chambers in our own hearts? Places we don't think God knows about? Places where we were, we, you know, we, we've satisfied the flesh, worshiping other things instead of the Lord? God knows of them and he wants us to give them to him. To purge them from our lives as he was trying to do with the people of Judah. As we get ready to close here, let me just say this. Putting anything first before or in place of the Lord is the picture being given in these secret chambers. Putting anything first before or in place of the Lord is the picture of being given or is the picture being given in these secret chambers. I want to close though because I, I just want to close with an encouraging word. And I, so I'd like for you to turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Uh, and my time is... is uh, but don't look back, because you know what the Bible says, remember Lot's wife. So don't look back at the, the clock. Just take me a couple minutes here. But in 1 John chapter 5, John says, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Now please understand this, because some people will say, Oh, you see, we don't sin anymore. Well, then go back to chapter 1, because this is the letter written to the church, and in 1 John 1, 9, what, what, is, uh, what does John say? 
if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in context to what he's been teaching about sin here, what John is saying is, listen, we, we know that whosoever is born of God, who has come, you know, born again of the Spirit of God, sinneth not in a, in a, in a uh, uh, habitual way. This is not an habitual sin. We, we stop that. Do we, do we sometimes fail? Yes. Sometimes we make mistakes. And then we have to say, oh, God, forgive me. And he says, I already did that. I, I forgave you on the cross. You know, the, the blood of Jesus is poured out and I see the blood. So we know that. So this is just to, an encouragement to say, listen, you know, whoever is born of God sinneth not with this ha- habit of doing it, you know, as if we think God doesn't know. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself and that wicked one touches him not. So we're protected by the Lord, but we're also protected by the fact that we take these things immediately to God. We keep ourselves, we guard ourselves, in other words. So then he says in verse 19, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. So here we are as believers in Jesus Christ, as weak as we are, but knowing that he's changed us and he's made us new creatures in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. What do we know? Well, even in this world, it's all wicked. It's wickedness all around us. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. See, we don't only know about Jesus, we know him. I mean, we know him. Am I asking you? <laughs> we know him, right? We, we know him. Not about him only. We know him. And we are in him that is true. Even in his son Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Here it is. The glory of God is Jesus. He's the glory. Little children, notice at the end of this. Very simply, John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Go home. That's the amen. This is truth. Keep yourself from idols. Nobody else is going to do it for you. We might encourage you, but all we encourage you with is the word of God. I just tell you, keep staying here. The Lord says, I'll be with you. Have we ever forgotten that? That God said, you know, the Lord himself said, I'll be with you. Wherever you go, I'll be with you. To the very end of the world, I'll be with you. I'm with you now because you've gathered in my name. I'm with you when you leave. And I'm with you when you struggle. Sometimes people don't want to say that, but you know we need to. Whenever we struggle, whenever we fight the... That fight of temptation, God says, I'm still here. I haven't left you. But a whole generation of people, and how many times do we see this in the scriptures? Whole generations of people. Read it in the book of, of Judges, right after the book of, Jerem, of, of Joshua. Right after Joshua, then the book of Judges comes. Then all of a sudden a generation comes and they know not God. 
what happened. And it wasn't just then, but other times when great reformers like Josiah, then his own sons don't even worship the Lord. And they lead others astray. So praise God for the cross of Jesus Christ. By the way, the cross is not an idol. We may, we may have very pretty crosses, you know, sometimes we, you know, people give us or we buy them. And so, you know, it's fine. Just remember that the cross is the place of execution. The place where Jesus died on our behalf. But it was the springboard to his rising again from the dead. For as we said on Sunday, no death, no resurrection. No resurrection, no hope. No hope, no eternal life. So let's keep living our lives, knowing that God sees us every day. And, and you know, when he sees us, he, he loves us, doesn't he? So we want to give back with our lives lived right in godliness and righteousness that he may be honored. He's coming again. Let's be ready. So we'll pick up here and then we'll, we'll go into chapter 9 and finish that next week. All right? Amen. Father, thank you for this time and this message and Lord I know it's never easy at times Lord it's just hard and we are amazed Lord at your love and grace we are amazed at your mercies, your patience. And we just bow to you, Lord. We ask, Father God, for your mercies, your forgiveness, your cleansing, your purifying us. And we do ask that you purify us, Lord. Purify our hearts this moment. We may lay before you things that we can leave here and we can leave free. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.